there really a second bonus episode of Victorian Samplings? Yes, there is. Hello, I'm Vanessa Warren. As you might know, we've welcomed over 70 expert guests over the course of our three seasons, all of them with insights to share about 19th century material culture. We're taking a different approach today. We're focusing on our own exploration of 19th century crafts. In what follows, we'll take you behind the scenes of the Crafting Communities Project and share how Victorian-era inspired crafting has helped us to connect with each other, with the students in our classes, and with the time period we research. First up, I speak with art historian, crafter, and Crafting Communities collaborator, also past guest of Victorian Samplings, Andrea Corda. We talk about our shared adventures in rag rug making and about teaching students, as well as fellow instructors, how to make rag rugs. And I'll close the episode by welcoming Mary Elizabeth Layton back to the podcast. Like Andrea, Mary Elizabeth is both a crafter and a crafting communities collaborator. We'll talk about the central role of hands-on making in her Victorian literature classroom. It is, however, the voices of students that are the beating heart of this episode. I won't give too much away, but if you happen to have a needle and a thread, or a pair of scissors and a bedsheet that's seen better days, or some paper, a pen, and an hour to spare, well, they have a suggestion or two for you. Hello and welcome to Victorian Samplings. I normally host the episodes of this podcast from my home office in Treaty 1 territory in Winnipeg, Manitoba, but today we're shaking things up. I'm very lucky to be in Kingston, Ontario, the traditional homeland of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and the Huron-Wendat people, where together with my collaborator, Dr. Andrea Corda, I've been attending the Open Art Histories Conference my first in-person academic gathering in three years. Andrea, can I ask you to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Andrea Corda. I live in Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, and I teach at the University of Alberta's Augustana campus that's in Camrose. I'm really excited to be here with you today, and we've been having such fun in Kingston. It's been great. So, Andrea, I'm really welcoming you back to Victorian Samplings because you were a guest in our first season. And when you spoke with us then, you shared with us some of your research on Victorian-era classrooms and also on the role that visual art played in them. We came to this conference because classrooms continue to be top of mind for both you and I. But we came to Kingston not with Victorian-era education in our thoughts, but instead thinking about our own 21st century classrooms. Can you share a little bit about the event that we just attended? Yeah, we've been in Kingston attending the Open Art Histories Pedagogy Institute. It is the first one that this organization, Open Art Histories, has put on, and it has been amazing. The whole idea behind the Institute was that as the organizers shared with us, they were thinking about it as summer camp for art historians. And it really felt like that. It was so lovely. So we gathered here in Kingston to talk about how we teach art history, what we teach, to share strategies, and to think about how we can be doing better in our classrooms. So what were some of the key themes of the conference that stood out for you? 
So we talked a lot about really what to teach in art history. Typically, or for a long time, first-year art history students would take an art history survey course where you kind of march through this history of art. Typically, these courses, I mean, they used to be really focused on European art, maybe some American art, and it was really a kind of single narrative that was told. Uh, but of course, this is incredibly problematic. So there's been a lot of discussion in the field of art history about what we should be teaching in that first year and in subsequent years as well. Of course, it's really difficult to teach a global art history. How do you get everything in? You can't possibly cover everything that's ever been created uh, and made and enjoyed through, through all of history throughout the whole world. And so a lot of our conversations centered around, you know, how can we start to globalize that art history survey, um, globalize all of our art history courses. Um, and then of course, hand in hand with that, how do you also decolonize art history and start to sort of unsettle some of the narratives that have been established in our field? So Andrea, we came here to share some work, some work in progress that we've been doing with our collaborator, Dr. Mary Elizabeth Layton, and also with a great team of student research assistants. We're really lucky we're going to be hearing from some of those research assistants later in this episode. Indeed, they're really the stars of the episode. But can I ask you to talk about what we brought here to share, um, quite literally stuffed into our suitcases? Yes, of course. Uh, well, I brought a big suitcase with me and half of it was stuffed full of fabric scraps. I had some of those RAs that you'll hear from soon take these sheets that I purchased at Value Village in Edmonton near my home and cut them into strips. I also packed 20 pairs of scissors and we were all ready to deliver our rag rug workshop, which was so much fun. So this year we have been really experimenting with integrating hands-on crafting into our classrooms and it was wonderful and we came here to share that with the community of folks gathered for Open Art Histories. And so on Saturday afternoon, we gathered in this beautiful studio space on the Queen's University campus at uh, the Agnes Etherington Art Center. And we taught a group of art historians how to make rag rugs and also talked about how to integrate that really meaningfully into courses so that it enhances students learning about art. Yeah, we've been really inspired, I think it's fair to say, by a lot of the voices that people have heard on this podcast. You know, a lot of the historians of material culture, literature scholars, art historians, and also the makers, the contemporary artists and crafters who've been speaking with us. And so this was one of our very first opportunities to uh, take some of what we've been learning out into the community and share it with fellow instructors. So one of the things we were, were doing together was asking university level instructors to really return to uh, past experiences they might have had as students and to explore something that was very new to them as a skill, but also to explore an understudied history with us. What really stood out for you about watching that hands-on learning take place in our, our little studio space? I think sort of the joy that comes from it, right? And that's something that we've talked about so much about our own crafting practices and then what happens when we bring crafting into our classrooms, that there was this real sense sort of fun and joy and kind of letting go 
Um, and you could really feel that in that space and feel it in that community of people who came together. But then, you know, it really goes beyond that because we had really good conversations that, that came out of it. And it was really gratifying to me to hear from instructors after the workshop, as we kind of chatted about what had happened, that they really saw the connections that they're to their teaching that could come out of this and the kind of critical practices um, that you could integrate in in with this hands-on crafting. I was just really excited that something that had worked really well this year for me and for my students it seemed like it was going to work well for some of these instructors as well and that they got what I, what we were all trying to talk about. And yeah, it was just great to kind of put that out there in the world and see other people start to, to be inspired by it as well. Andrea, with joy in making in mind, could I ask you to talk a little bit about all the rag rug making you've been doing? I love making rag rugs, as you know, because we've been staying in Kingston together for a couple of days now, and I have already started on the second rag rug of this trip. It's such a wonderful practice for me because as I, I told my students, I love how messy it is. I love how forgiving it is. You can make mistakes. You can sort of mess up and you can keep on going and it's totally fine, right? It It's sort of meant to be irregular. It's rags and knots um, and it doesn't necessarily have to look a particular way. So for me, there's something just really freeing about that. Um, but at the same time as I find it to be sort of messy and fun and there's a sort of carefree aspect to it, it's very methodical. So your hands can just go and you can be listening while making and thinking quite deeply while making. And I quite like that because I find, aside from the sort of joy in making, I find it really helps me focus too. So at this pedagogy institute that, you know, we were there for three days. I actually, I don't always say this about every conference I go to. I attended every single session because they were all amazing. But one of the things that kept me focused and energized through the whole thing was that my hands are busy and I could really listen and think because I wasn't kind of looking to move my body in different ways and I wasn't fidgeting. And so, yeah, I just think rag rugs uh, has, has brought a lot to me. I love that idea of combining reflection, the ability to learn with that idea of fending off restlessness through making. It's fabulous. So we're about to hear from some members of the really talented team of research assistants who have been helping us with our project. And they've been helping us by preparing craft tutorials, including a rag rug tutorial. And we're hoping that those tutorials are going to be used in university level humanities classrooms, but also by individual crafters, some of whom might be listeners to this podcast. People can find all the tutorials on our website, craftingcommunities.net. But before we turn to our students and hear them in conversation, I'm wondering if you wanted to tell us a little bit about what it's been like for you as the lead on the tutorial element of our project to work with and learn from this really talented group. It has been so much fun. Um, as you'll hear in a moment, we have this fantastic group of students and it's just been really energizing. I mean, 
we had this idea of, you know, critical crafting that we wanted to explore. Um, and we've been experimenting with this, bringing it into the classroom. And of course, with a large group of students in a class, you have a sense of how it works for the, the community of students in that space. But what's been just really fun and gratifying is having these individual students who we already know they're interested in the topic, but they go off and do these tutorials and they come back with such energy and excitement for what they have learned. And so I think I'm learning so much from them, from their deep engagement with one particular craft practice about what this will bring to future students down the road and, and what it will bring to me as well. So that, that's been really exciting. And I just, I love learning from the students and learning with them. Andrew, I'm so grateful to the Open Art Histories Group for giving us this chance to be together in Kingston, uh, sharing and learning. And I'm really grateful to you for this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I can't put into words how excited I am about what is about to happen. Regular listeners to Victorian Samplings know that this podcast is co-created by a talented team of students. But there is another group of talented crafting community students who have been busy both learning and creating. Known as Team Crafting, they've been researching and making Victorian-era crafts, from moving panoramas to cobweb cards to thaumatropes. This energetic group are ready to share their year in crafting and their thoughts on the many benefits of crafting, including crafting in the university-level classroom. As you'll hear, they have some great ideas to share, as well as some words of advice about managing expectations, perfectionist tendencies, and the surprising stink of dipping pen ink. Hi there, my name is Jocelyn Deemer, and I'm an English student at the University of Victoria, and I lost at least 15 sewing needles over the course of this project. I had the pleasure of designing the tutorial for embroidery samplers, which was a really fun combination of textile work and also writing because it, making a sampler is really writing with a needle. I had pretty grand ambitions for mine. I wanted to have, you know, a little illustration of a house and maybe some people, but it ended up taking a lot longer than I expected. And so I just have a nice little alphabet on mine, but I'm really very proud of it. And I, I didn't think that I was going to be able to make something so simple yet so meaningful to myself. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Kublik. I'm a biology student at the University of Alberta's Augustana campus. I got to create the silhouette tutorial and I think something that was really interesting about making the silhouette was learning kind of how it fluctuated in popularity. It was super popular in the Victorian era and then it kind of wasn't popular for a bit and now there's this like resurgence in in the craft which I thought was so cool. I got to look at a bunch of, of new artists who are focusing on silhouette making and now the challenge is just to find a frame big enough for my <laughs> life-size <laughs> silhouette. Yeah. Hey there, uh, my name is Rebecca Stretch, and I'm a third year ethics and global studies student at the University of Alberta's Augustana campus. And because of the Crafting Communities project, I'm now the proud owner of a beautiful feather dip pen. 
Hello, my name is Kalia from Nicroposo, and I'm a fourth year English undergraduate student at the University of Victoria, and I'm overly reliant on Mod Podge. I made the tutorial for the rag rug, and I ended up making a broader rag rug, which is a colorful and surprisingly shaggy variation of rug for the 19th century, but I ended up being pretty happy with how it looks. Hi, my name is Lucy. I am an RA with the Crafting Communities team. I'm also a graduate student at the University of Manitoba in the English department. I wrote a tutorial for a moving panorama, which is essentially a Victorian parlor game slash craft. So it's really a, a medium that invites creativity. Hey there, I'm Jane Naderloff. I'm at the U of A's Augustana campus, and uh, this year I dropped my minors so I could do more interdisciplinary things. The craft that I got to learn about and learn how to teach someone to make was the cobweb card, and I did not anticipate how much of a crowd pleaser cobweb cards would be. Everybody that I've shown one to has been so strangely mind blown, even though it's honestly a super simple paper craft. Hi, I'm Priscilla Ribanji. I study computing at the University of Alberta and embroidery is not my calling. I joined this project to help upload stuff on the website as well as to add to the crafting resources because for this project I also got to make some crafts. As research assistants, we were asked by the project supervisors to research a 19th century craft and develop a tutorial. Then we piloted four of our fellow crafters' tutorials and gave them feedback in order to fine-tune the instructions and just have more people's voices and talents going towards each craft. Um, so the, the letters on my sampler are worked in uh, dark blue thread on a lighter blue uh, Ada cloth, which is a, a special kind of cloth. Um, which the Victorians didn't use, but we use now, and it's it's made especially for cross-stitching. Um, the cloth actually came from my mother, who's had it for about 20 years, because she used to do cross-stitch when she was my age, which is really fun. Um, I'm currently displaying it in the hoop that I created it in, because um, it, it's much prettier on the front than on the back, um, and I'd rather just not think about all of the loose threads that are hanging off the back of it. The craft that I got to make a tutorial for was Victorian letter writing, how to write and seal and fold letters like a Victorian. And I found it so interesting to see how certain things about letter writing have changed. We mostly write emails and texts now, but other things are very much the same. You know, sometimes it was just a couple of sentences shot off to a friend to invite them over. For a coffee date, sometimes it was an elaborate, you know, love sonnet. And so uh, that was really cool to get my hands on that and make some Victorian letters. So yeah, cobweb cards were such a creative endeavor. And it was also just such a joy to, to do something that used to be so normal. Yeah, before, before I even made one or started my tutorial, I spent quite a lot of time drooling over an article that the Met Museum has on just historical cobweb cards and these things are phenomenal they're 
gorgeous, they're delicate, they're intricate, and so I feel like going into making my tutorial, I had a ton of inspiration, and I made, I made three separate cards, and all of them are completely different. I got to experiment with all sorts of different materials, different designs, I picked up a massive box of ribbons from the thrift store that I got to cycle through and and pick the funky ones from. For my tutorial for a moving panorama, I chose to use that medium to to adapt a poem. I did so with collage, which is another Victorian crafting practice. I took a poem and I I visualized it in images and I, I really liked how the moving panorama allowed me to kind of control the delivery of each image which corresponded to a line in my adapted poem. Um, people, people talk a lot about the joy of working with your hands um, and I don't think they often mention the amount of squinting that's involved. Um, when we think of embroidery, I think we tend to think of like a demure lady sitting in front of the fireplace, embroidering clothing for her family. Um, I spent a lot of time hunched in front of my computer screen watching Netflix and, and trying desperately to count my stitches. But it was so fun. I had I had so much fun doing it. Um, it, it it's nice to just kind of do a tedious task and, and not really have to think about what you're doing. Just kind of let your hands take control and just move the way that your body wants to move. It, it was very refreshing in, in its tedium, which I really enjoyed and wouldn't have expected. I, I just want to say that crafts are beautiful and crafting is so fun. And when it's so fun that every time I'm asked what I'm doing and what I'm researching, I often forget like what it is that I'm doing this for. I'm just like, I'm having fun. But when I do remember what it is that I'm doing it for, when I read things and I get to tie it with the crafts, it's, it's exciting to engage my mind in such a different way and to engage my body in such a different way as well. So I actually got to uh, purchase and use some really fun materials in my uh, to make my letters. Some of it was repurposed, just paper I had kicking around, but I did buy a really beautiful uh, kit. It had this amazing feather pen and sealing wax and a bunch of different ends for my pen. And when I first got it in the mail, it was so pretty, I didn't even want to touch it because it was all in the kit. And I had to, you know, get used to ink and how it flows on paper. And I also had to get used to not lighting the paper on fire because sometimes wax ignites when you use it. So to create the silhouette that I made, I used a couple of pieces of poster board uh, paper, white and black, and I tried to be as traditional as possible. So I used the um, shadow version and had to use a light source and convinced my sister to sit for about 30 minutes while I, I tried my best to outline all of her wispy hairs. And yeah, I created a life-size version. So I know a couple people can do it out of photos and that's going to be my next uh, my next my next task. Um, my rag rug is a small sample sized rug that my cat enjoys sitting on. Um, so I used a piece of burlap for a rice bag as the base and then I ransacked my sewing box for scraps of fabric that I cut into short thin strips and poked through the burlap with a skewer over and over again. This took a very long time, but the end result is that shaggy, colorful rag rug. 
I struggled to get started because when I was doing research in the um, 19th century database, there was just so many different types of rag rugs that I was having a hard time picking which one I should do. I ended up going for the one that required the least amount of pre-existing skills, so you didn't need to know how to sew or make your own yarn out of cloth. So I took a class with Andrea Corda, and in that class we got to learn crafts as well as integrate it with a bunch of readings that we were doing. One of the crafts I made for Andrea's Modern Art, Modern Life class was the thaumatrope, and I found it really interesting when it was tied with the reading because it was looking at ways of seeing and it 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 got me thinking about things that i hadn't already thought about it got me thinking about how i see and how there's there might be flaws in the ways that i see as well because the thaumatrope is an optical toy and it is used to demonstrate persistence of vision so there is an image on one side and an image on the other and when you flip it really quickly, the images seem to merge. And that image that merges doesn't really exist, but we see it like it exists. And it got me thinking, it got me thinking about flaws in my perception. Cobweb cards as, they're actually pretty simple to make, but hard to describe. I kind of think of them as the original Victorian, like, pop-out card. Or, you know, like pop-up books, you open it up and there's something moving where cards don't usually have things moving. So I'm sure everyone has made paper snowflakes where you, you fold it up and then you cut little patterns into it. And so the pattern that you cut in for a cobweb card is essentially starting at the tip of your kind of triangular piece of folded paper. You cut a strip sideways and then you do one underneath it from the opposite end, but you don't go all the way through. So you're not chopping your paper in half. And then you do that all the way down. And when you unfold it, it's this kind of maze-ish moving paper cobweb, essentially. I also piloted the moving panorama, crazy quilt, letter writing, and thaumatrope tutorials. Um, I think that one of my favorite things about this project was looking through my fellow crafters' images and crafts because you can see like so much personality in each one and try and figure out who made what. Um, I think crafting, like crafting not only draws on your aesthetic and color preferences, but also the material you have available and what existing skills you already have. So even though we all follow the same tutorial, each craft looks unique because crafting is such a personal experience. Uh, aside from the, the crafting component of this project, there were two big writing components. Um, there was the actual writing of the tutorials, and then there was uh, the microblogs. The microblogs are short reflections that we wrote after piloting other people's tutorials, um, which were really useful for thinking about our own processes and uh, will be shared as Instagram captions with some photos of our crafts. I really love my moving panorama. It was so challenging, but it was uh, so rewarding. I have it on my shelf. I really appreciated that outlet while I was in online school. As well, I really enjoyed 
doing the tutorials, my fellow RAs tutorials and writing the microblogs. You know, I, I either am writing formally or writing poetry. And this was such a fun way to write, but also to, I don't know, not have it be super formal. I, I really enjoyed that. I would say that my favorite parts of crafting would be just the challenge of it all, the challenge of of making something um, and putting your own personality on it. I especially found the moving panorama to be a challenge, but I was thankful that others had already done um, some of those moving panoramas. Yeah, uh, that was a challenge. But I also agree with Kalia in that people, it was cool to see how others did your own tutorial. Um, when I did my silhouette, uh, I, I, I did it pretty, pretty basic, just I didn't add any colors or anything like that. But then I would go and I would see others who had done my tutorial and like Rebecca's who actually she put the scraps around and had made it a beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, and I thought that was really cool to see the personality as well. One of the most lovely things I've found with crafting, and I think it's a common thread that goes through a lot of our experiences, are the opportunities and possibilities for community and for relationship building centered around a craft. It honestly just blew my mind. I spent a lot of time scrolling through the pictures and just swooning over people's ideas. Jacqueline had her cobweb was this this sun in the middle of clouds. She'd use tissue paper to make little clouds, and it was so three-dimensional beyond just the cobweb. Great. And something that I really liked about the actual material I made was I rediscovered a skill that I learned as a kid, which was uh, cursive writing. I realized that it's actually so much easier to do cursive writing than printing with a quill pen. I understand why they did it, um, because it doesn't like blot the page as much because you don't have to actually pick it up off of the paper. And I just hadn't even, that hadn't even occurred to me until I was actually trying to use ink and paper. And so I've gotten a lot better at cursive writing again, and I can impress my friends. Um, so working with crafting communities taught me that there are more ways to engage in scholarship than just essay writing, which is a perfectly fine approach that many of us are really familiar with. But I think that crafting gives you an embodied understanding of Victorian culture and the texts that you choose to explore through hands-on learning. My experience definitely changed how I approach 19th century texts as an English student. I'm much more aware of relationships between characters, material objects, and social codes than I was before. I actually ended up making a watch guard as my final project in a Victorian literature class with um, one of the supervisors, Dr. Layton. Uh, one thing that I really struggled with um, was getting the tone right for my microblogs. Um, it's, it's kind of a big switch from writing the tutorial, um, in kind of a conversational, but still very instructive, um, manner to, to the vulnerability of, of the microblog. Um, I had an intense fear of coming across as being corny or like overly flowery. Um, and so that took a lot of practice and reading things aloud to myself and talking with my editing partner, um, and, and just figuring out what exactly you know, what I wanted to portray of myself, but also how to how to be vulnerable and, and natural. 
Um, something else that was challenging for me was taking photographs. Um, I'm a perfectionist and I wanted my photos to be beautiful, but inevitably, you know, the sun goes down, um, there's a wrinkle in the fabric. Uh, I was moving back and forth from my parents' house to my house here in Victoria. Um, and so backgrounds were changing and just kind of learning to accept that there would be imperfections and that's okay. And Victorian crafters dealt with imperfections too. Um, was was big for me. Besides um, making my tutorial, which took up a large portion of my uh, research assistant time this year, I really enjoyed getting to know my crafting community's teammates, who are all such amazing, diverse, and enthusiastic, creative people. And I think it's just so much fun actually sort of uh, applying like an overlap between like academia, which is a big part of my life and um, creativity and crafting, which is also a big part of my life. Uh, in terms of challenges, I, I'm actually a biology student. So doing something like crafting and learning about the Victorian era, I only had a very basic understanding of, of it and just my own crafting um, myself at home. So I found that I, I was thankful that I had the silhouettes <clears throat> to do and just because there was so much information about them because they really they really have come back in, in a in a pretty powerful way, I guess. And so even just having the chance to have our RAs work together and ask questions, that helped me a lot just to kind of fill in the gaps of knowledge that I, I needed in order to complete some of these some of these tasks and the tutorial especially. And then when it came to just occupational hazards of uh, writing letters, breathing in ink fumes, nobody talks about that. Uh, I tried to show my mom my, my quill pen. She got like through three words and was like, I feel like I'm getting high off these fumes. Like, can you close the lid? Which I didn't notice as much, but the ink fumes, they're a thing. I smelt like a newspaper shop after writing letters and also just really inky hands. Um, I felt like Joe March from Little Women with my hands just absolutely covered in ink. And I kind of loved it, but then everything in my house was black. Moving forward, I would love to get to work with people from different disciplines and institutions again. Um, it was really helpful. I struggled so much with the moving panorama, but um, Jane, who I was partnered up with, like we could text each other and troubleshoot. And we both ended up with final projects that sort of worked. So <laughs> that was a great experience. At Augustana, we have a large and varied and beautiful group of undergrad research assistants. And there's, there's a good number of us. Um, and we've had a lot of fun this summer. Something that we've noticed as crafting RAs is Every, every, when people ask us, oh, what's your project? We kind of tell them, oh, I'm working on Victorian material culture. And you you kind of try to find a way to say it so that it doesn't sound like you just make crafts. And it's interesting encountering in myself and the people around me this kind of need to justify or qualify and say, oh, like this is still scholarly work kind of thing. Like we did research 
I think part of part of the purpose, if not the purpose of this project, other than to learn more about Victorian material culture, is to explore different ways to engage with our learning. And it was challenging and interesting for me to encounter that kind of need to conform to an already existing idea of academia and research. And if it's not hard, it's not right. But to give myself and my institution the grace to be like, you know what? Crafting, we can learn so much from it. And in writing about it, I'm, I'm surprised at how much I've learned from it. And I hope, I hope that, yeah, I'm, ex I, I'm experiencing some of the beginnings of a shift in, in post-secondary towards more embodied forms of humanities. It's, it's sad how excited we get when we remember, it's almost like we realize that we can do these things because we forget, we're just sat in front of, of computers, we're listening to TikToks, we're watching things, and we forget that there's other things that we can do, other things that involve feeling, that involve touching materials, that involve expressing ourselves and our ideas and our personalities, as we've all said. And it's, it's beautiful to see all of that come to life in a craft. And yeah, it's like we realize we're capable of creating something new and it's 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 a beautiful realization, one that makes us appreciate our bodies, I think, in, in new ways. I will say this project has affected both my academic and my non-academic life. Academic-wise, like Cleo was saying, it's changed the way that I read um, Victorian and other literature and paying more attention to the materiality of things and also the materiality of books themselves. I had the pleasure of taking a special collections class this year, um, which in combination with crafting communities has really changed the way that I think about literary studies and my kind of plans for the future, which is fun. And also just kind of in my day-to-day -day life, um, my habits have changed. You know, in the evening, sometimes instead of scrolling through TikTok on my phone for an hour before bed, I'll sit and I'll I'll work on my quilt or I'll I'll do some knitting. It's it's kind of which I used to do when I was younger. It's 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 reawakened a passion for crafting um, that I think not to be a Luddite, but that you know, technology um, and having a cell phone all the time has kind of taken away from me, which has been really lovely and wonderful. So the three of us uh, research assistants who are at Augustana uh, had the pleasure of presenting at a conference called Accurate, where different profs share pedagogy and ideas with each other in various disciplines. And uh, yeah, so we got to present at Accurate on, our, on crafting communities. It was wonderful. Um, but I think one of the most poignant things that'll stick with me about this project was seeing a bunch of academics in everything from nursing to environmental studies, getting so giddy and excited about folding a letter. There was an environmental studies prof that I had in first year, and he just kept looking at his letter with the most fond look on his face. I've never seen him look so pleased. And he took one of our stickers and he put it on his water bottle. Like, it was just so delightful to see how excited people were about doing something hands-on. As RAs, we also got the chance to attend some roundtables and crafternoons. And one crafternoon for me really stood out. It was with the beadwork artist Cynthia Boehm. And I've done some beadwork in the past, um, but now it's kind of reawakened this, this want to do that. And so I've started beading um, some earrings 
and I'm gonna try and continue. They take a while though, so I'm, I'm trying my best and beating with my mom has been really great too. So yeah, that was, that was a really great opportunity. So far, I've actually mostly just read and practiced crafting. I haven't actually put anything up on the website, but it is something that I'm excited to do because it is the field that I'm working in and I get to learn how to do new things as well. And I get to put this amazing information that all the research assistants and, and professors have gathered up and people get to access it. I think it's it's an honor to do the work I'm doing. It's it's very much enlightening and to, to spread this information and to have other people from their houses to also understand that they can do this. Because a lot of people, I think, forget that they're capable of doing little things like this or, or big things like this, depending. And yeah, it's really nice to encourage people in, in that manner and remind them that they're capable of doing great things. So something that was kind of neat that came out of this project for me was um, when I was piloting the tutorial for the silhouette, I got to go home for spring break and I got to make um, some silhouettes with my mom, which was actually a really special experience because um, I was homeschooled growing up and one of the activities we did was making silhouettes. We did it in a different way, but we made silhouettes of me and my brothers and it was really, really cool and fun and something that we bonded over. And so it was really neat to go home during university and to show my mom a new way to make a silhouette. And we did, did one of each other. And it was even cool to compare the silhouettes we made now to the ones that we made when we were kids. And it just now occurred to me that now I know how to make a silhouette and maybe someday I can teach my kid how to make a silhouette. And maybe we can have Nana over and we can all make silhouettes together. If I can sum up what I've learned from this project in one sentence, um, it is that crafting is a two-way street and to be a crafter is to be created by one's craft. I really love the idea of making cobweb cards as birthday cards or celebratory cards for people just because they are so just tangibly joy-giving. They're just fun. Um, so I would really love to to do that in the future. I think I should just sit down and go for it. Are you feeling inspired? Are you ready, like Jane, to just sit down and go for it and make some cobweb cards? Well, you can see these student researchers' crafts and try their tutorials and read their microblogs by visiting craftingcommunities.net or by following us on Instagram at crafty underscore Victorians. We hope you'll try your hand at a tutorial or two and we hope you'll share your results with us. You can do that by emailing us at craftyvictorians at gmail.com. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Mary Elizabeth Layton back to the podcast. When Mary Elizabeth isn't teaching at the University of Victoria or researching in collaboration with Dr. Lisa Surridge, the 19th century cultural history of pregnancy and childbirth, she's collaborating with Andrew Corda and with me on the Crafting Communities Project. Hello, Mary Elizabeth. Hi, Vanessa. It's so nice to talk to you. We've talked about your research on this podcast in the past, and I'm excited now to turn to your teaching. 
Alongside Andrea, you and I have been exploring how hands-on making can enrich the studies of our students. And we heard from Andrea about her field, art history, earlier in the episode, but we too are literature professors. We both focus on Victorian literature. And I'm wondering if I can ask you to speak a little bit about how you're helping your students make connections between crafting or material culture and literary studies. I think that doing hands-on work in the classroom has really changed how I have been working with students on thinking about how fiction works primarily. And certainly, although I did do some work before the pandemic in a hands-on way, I think that the in-class, hands-on, experiential learning we've been doing together, inspired by the Crafting Communities series, has changed so much how I have been thinking about literature with students. So we have been working on crafting practices sometimes that get represented in novels or sometimes that are adjacent to novels or sometimes that you know are going on in the background of scenes or would have been going on in the background of reading novels and doing that kind of hands-on work with students has been so exciting because we've been able to rethink our understanding of Victorian literary representations, but also the Victorian culture that gave rise to fiction. So you referenced this, Mary Elizabeth. We began to collaborate on our teaching along with Andrea during basically also because of the pandemic. Like so many university teachers, we were scrambling to find ways to give our students the best experience of online distanced learning. But you were offering your students hands-on learning opportunities long before the pandemic. Can I ask you to share an example or two? Sure. I think the main things I did before the pandemic in terms of hands-on learning were twofold. First of all, I've long been involved in a book history course, summer course that is offered at the UVic Special Collections. And Lisa Surridge and I, when we were working on our earlier project on illustration, taught ourselves how to lino cut as a way of understanding relief printing and block printing and engraving in the Victorian period. And so we took that into our classes, that practice of lino cutting as a way of getting students to think about how images got produced in the 19th century and 19th century books, and of getting them to think about how images work on the page in relation to text. So I had been doing some lino cut workshops, often as a one-off as a supplement to an in-class, an undergraduate class, or in this book history class. I had also sometimes in bibliography graduate seminars 
been doing a sort of autopsy of a book. So I would take in an exacto knife, I would take in value village books and spread them around the table and we would all dissect the books that we had in front of us. And I have to say this dissection process was always really fascinating as a way of getting us to see how the gatherings worked, how binding worked in practice in a way that we'd merely been theorizing about before or reading about. But it always produced anxiety in students because they were always sort of worried about ripping apart these books, even if they were not you know, of course, fancy 19th century rare books. We were always just using cast-offs. But nevertheless, the literature students I found were always really nervous about that exercise, even though they found it helpful. So that wasn't always a crafting-related activity, but it was a hands-on activity that I could see really helped us understand how books were put together in a way that just talking about them wouldn't make happen. I'm making a note to steal the book dissection activity from you. But moving on, one of the things I've really enjoyed about our collaboration is having students on different campuses, in different classes, and sometimes in different disciplines, try out very similar hands-on assignments. So for example, we both had students experimenting with 19th century scrapbooking practices, as you know, to support their study of literature. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about how scrapbooking featured in your classroom. I first undertook a scrapbooking assignment in the first full year online. So that would have been spring 2021. And I was really inspired by the scrapbooking workshop that Elizabeth Bassett and Heather Dean had put together as part of our first year of crafting communities. They produced such amazing resources online uh, with materials from UVic Special Collections, scrapbooks that Elizabeth had located, but they also produced some helpful videos. And and so sort of armed with that terrific workshop um, material, I designed a scrapbooking assignment for an upper year Victorian fiction course that required students to do some research in the periodical press, in databases online, uh, related to one of the novels that we were reading, and then to print out that material and to produce a kind of scrapbook page or a collage. And then, of course, they had to write a written report. So there was the more aesthetic or creative scrapbooking component of the assignment, and then the report component. And going into that assignment, I didn't know how it would go. I didn't know if students would think this was a sort of old fashioned project or one that was a simple project, right? That was easy and that they thought they knew how to do. But I was blown away by how much they said they enjoyed it and how much they learned from this process that required them to dig around in the press and, and figure out how to do some primary database research, but also how to present that research in an aesthetically interesting way. 
so I was really thrilled with that first assignment and I ruthlessly required everyone in the class to undertake that assignment. There was not a non scrapbooking report assignment. So no one wrote a regular essay that semester. Everyone did the scrapbook assignment and the, the accompanying research report. Thanks for sharing that, Mary Elizabeth. The great news we have for listeners is they can see some of the extraordinary work your students produced by checking out a link we'll put on the Crafting Communities site to a Kula article that we co-authored with Andrew Corda, Elizabeth Bassett, and Heather Dean, and that features some amazing work by your students and also, I'm pleased to say, by my students. So I'm really struck by how doing an activity like the scrapbooking activity with students is something they can perceive as enriching but as not core to their studies and I'm intrigued by how that frees them up I think to experiment to take risks to make mistakes and to kind of show each other both their adventures and misadventures in a particular field of knowledge or practice without feeling that they have to demonstrate mastery and I've been very excited by how that's worked out in my classroom I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about how students are responding to your invitation to set traditional essay writing aside, even if it's just for a portion of the course, in order to take on um, more creative, arguably, certainly less conventional approach to literary studies. I've been fascinated by the overwhelmingly positive response to these kinds of assignments and to students avowing that you know, they were a little dubious maybe about this kind of project, about a creative project. They don't necessarily imagine themselves as artistic or creative going into it, but how much they gleaned academically and and also sort of as people from this kind of assignment. Not only the scrapbooking assignment, but the, the hands-on assignments that I've incorporated this past semester into the class have been really fascinating for me because they really disrupt our ideas about what students already know, what they bring to the classroom. It's been so delightful to do hands-on work, workshops, intentional sort of workshops that are integrated into the course with students because of course students have a whole bunch of knowledge and expertise that they bring to the classroom, many of them that you wouldn't otherwise know about. So I expanded out from the scrapbooking assignment this past semester into hands-on workshops on broderie on glaze, lino cutting, and other activities. And it was just lovely to find students forging community with one another, chatting with one another in a class in which we, you know, begin with some historical context, watch a video of what we were going to do, and then try and do the thing together. But I think all, all of us working alongside one another as amateurs, as newbies to this practice was a really interesting and sort of democratizing move in the classroom. And it often meant that some students, you know, became leaders in the classroom teaching the rest of us, you know, how to do, say, uh, a textile-based activity with a needle that the rest of us didn't know how to do. So it had this really usefully disruptive aspect to it, I think, in that 
we each were doing the same thing, but maybe at a different level. And we were learning from one another really seriously. And we were also at the same time, you know, learning about the Victorians and about how this activity might relate to the fiction that we were reading. You're reminding me of how powerfully craft can build community. And of course, Mary Elizabeth, that's part of what brought you and I and Andrea together on this project. People listening to this might be inspired to try this kind of work in their own classroom. Do you have advice? Do you have thoughts? What should we know before we attempt something like this? I think my main advice, Vanessa, is that this kind of hands-on classroom activity requires a lot of pre-work before the classroom. And so it's really crucial to have the materials all ready to go for the students so that you're not wasting precious time in the classroom, handing materials out or getting materials together. I had a fantastic TA assisting me this past semester and her assistance was so crucial. We made a template kit, I guess I would call it, for the hands-on activity, whether it was, you know, sewing with a needle or doing some hair work with synthetic hair. We made a sample kit of what we would need, and then we reproduced the number of kits as there were students in the class. And so we could just distribute those at the beginning of the class before we launched in with our background and our actual activity. And I have to say that just made all the difference. I think in terms of having enough time in an 80 minute class to accomplish the making of something, the trying of an activity and to have enough space for students to make mistakes, to start again, to talk with another one another, to commiserate, to celebrate one another's made objects. I think your point about time is super important and the energy that goes into preparation, but I'm also thinking about the importance of physical space. I found some of my classroom settings really limiting and I started fantasizing about a maker's lab where we could go and make a mess and there would be big tables and, and room to move around, but, but I'll leave that fantasy for another day. And I'll just say thank you so much for speaking with me, Mary Elizabeth. I learn so much every time I speak with you. Thanks for making time for this interview and also for making time in the last two years for our collaboration. It's been wonderful. It has been wonderful. Thank you, Vanessa, and to Andrea and our terrific RAs as well. Thank you to my crafting community's colleagues, Andrea, Mary Elizabeth, Rebecca, Jacqueline, Jocelyn, Priscilla, Lucy, Kalia, and Jane. It was lovely to have this chance to reflect on our work together, on things we've made, and on what we've learned. Victorian Samplings is the co-creation of Anne Hung, Jesse Cron, Natalie Lovetri, Lucy Von Schilling, and me, Vanessa Warren. We do our work on the territory of the Lungkwangan and Sanchothan-speaking communities of the Songhees, Esquimo, and Wasanich peoples, and on Treaty 1 territory, traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and homeland of the Métis Nation. Victorian Samplings is the podcast of the Crafting Communities Project. 
Learn more about the Crafting Communities project by visiting craftingcommunities.net or by following us on Instagram at crafty underscore Victorians. You can email us at craftyvictorians at gmail.com and you can follow us on Twitter at craftyvictorian. The Crafting Communities Project is supported by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the Victorian Studies Association of Western Canada, and the Universities of Alberta, Manitoba, and Victoria. Crafting Communities is a collaboration between Andrew Corda, Mary Elizabeth Layton, and me, Vanessa Warren. Thank you for listening. Music